record, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Presented by Edelman Financial Engines. Ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here are Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Hi, everyone. I'm Gene Chatsky. And I am Soledad O'Brien. And you are listening to Everyday Wealth. It's a show that we like to say sits at the intersection of life and your money. So every week we discuss what's happening in the news and then explore the big events that we're all facing that could impact building and growing and preserving and protecting your wealth. And we'll be guided every week by amazing experts from Edelman Financial Engines. These are folks who work with real people, their clients, every single day to help move their financial lives forward. And so they have terrific insights on how you can move yours forward as well. Before we jump right into our topics this week, let's start with a look back at financial news. I, I think that should be in air quotes because I feel like anything major news-wise often has big implications for what's happening with your money and, of course, sort of what's happening in the economy uh, generally. But this week, that there's a lot going on. It's Black History Month. Yes. We are in our first week of Black History Month, starting out strong. Although, you know, news that is so disturbing and so partly disturbing because it's so consistent, right? More news about the racial wealth gap. 34% of black households uh, own stocks. And when you compare that to their white counterparts, the number is 61%, which is relevant, especially as we saw that uh, run up after the pandemic, right? You have a whole bunch of black people who were not in stock. So they missed out on that opportunity uh, that their white counterparts were able to grow their wealth. And it's just so consistent. I mean, I find it so frustrating. This is an area that I've done a lot of work in over the years and documentaries and stories. And I just find it very, very disconcerting, you know, about how you can think about growing wealth in communities where historically there's just been a disproportionate lack of wealth. And until we change, particularly for small business owners, the ability to get retirement plans into their hands automatically, like we do for employees at big companies, this is not going to change fast enough. But it reminded me about a story that I read online um, from the New York State Archive. They uncovered just under 2,000 documents detailing how Sojourner Truth successfully used the legal system in New York to get her son released from slavery. It's such a crazy story. It's really worth reading, and you can look it up online. It's really remarkable, and I think, obviously, you know, part of the reason we talk about this racial wealth gap, because when you're laboring for free, Mm -hmm. uh, a.k.a. slavery, you're not able to build generational wealth, and the implications of that we still reap, unfortunately, today. Amazing story. Amazing. We also had a, a spate of really good corporate earnings last week. Alphabet... Fourth quarter profits were up 36%. That's Google, for those of you who may not remember. Remember when Google was Google, and then all of a sudden there's like, Alphabet? Okay. Alphabet, we've got to speak a whole new language. ExxonMobil had strong earnings. GM had strong earnings. Starbucks, as we all sit here with our cups, <laughs> not surprisingly, had had strong earnings. 
And it's interesting that all of these earnings have come in looking so good when if you look at the headlines, there's a lot of talk about bear markets, particularly when we look at the volatility that we experienced in the market just in the in the past couple of weeks. The S&P 500 had its largest weekly loss in almost two years. Last time it dropped this month was in March of 2020. The NASDAQ had its first double-digit monthly loss since the financial crisis in 2008. The Dow recently dropped over 1,000 points interday. That means in one trading session, not just once, but twice. And so people are starting to get really nervous about whether after so much time where the markets have gone steadily up, if we're looking at a period where it's going to turn and go down. Is the definition of a bear market essentially just volatility, like big volatility? The definition of a bear market is a market that has dropped by 20% or more. That's it. I mean, plain and simple, it's just percentage terms. And a lot of people are talking about it these days. Uh, Jeremy Siegel, who is a very well-known professor of finance at Wharton, he's spoken out, written about the fact that he thinks that the four rate increases this year that are expected from the Federal Reserve... Because of inflation. Because of inflation, exactly. The Fed is using its arsenal to fight inflation, but he's worried that that will create a very challenging environment for stocks. So is he saying, hey, I'm predicting we're in a bear market? Is is he one of the experts who's saying that? Or is there an official like, ding, 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 everybody, we're in a bear market that everybody is aware? We haven't had a ding, 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 we're in a bear market yet. Mm. We're just hearing voices saying, hey, we've got factors at play that could lead to one. What are it, some of those factors? Well, inflation is definitely the big one. It, it hit its highest levels in January since 1982. So in a very, very long time, we've got tensions around the world, Russia and Ukraine between China and Taiwan. And we've got COVID, right? We've still got COVID. And although I know people are getting very mask weary and and ready to just, you know, be done with this, you can't be done with this when there are still so many people in hospitals and Mm and worried about yet another variant around the corner. So it's interesting that you ask what a bear market is, because some people are already saying that we've got different parts of the market that are already in bear territory. So it's it's kind of like asset classes. Stocks could be in a bull market, while commodities, for example, could be in a bear market. Or you could have a scenario where tech stocks are not doing very well in a tech-heavy index like the NASDAQ is down 20%, while the Dow never really gets into bear territory. In the past couple of weeks, we've had what many people are calling a stealth bear market in growth stocks. And many of these stocks were high flyers in the COVID crisis in the midst of the pandemic. But since they peaked, they've given back a lot of their gains. So these are names like Peloton and Zoom and DocuSign And a lot of people who've got big money in those stocks are thinking, "Uh uh-oh, is this done for the long haul or are these going to recover? If the market falls huge in a day like it did in 1987, that's a crash. 
And so these terms, I think, are just sort of helpful to have in your in your back pocket. And we also have to realize bear markets, they just happen, right? They They don't happen as often as they used to, but... Since 1928, since going back to the Great Depression, there have been 28 bear markets in the S&P 500, but there have been 27 bull markets. And when you look at the historical trends in the market, if you put money in the market after the Depression and just left it there, you would be really, really wealthy right now because overall the markets have continued to go up. So if it's dropping 20% and that's a bear market and it recovers much of that by the end of the day, or or does that drop back and forth multiple times? Is that multiple bear markets in it? I mean, how does that no, work? No, it, it tends to be looked at over a longer period of time. The average length of a bear market is about 10 months, which mm. sounds like an eternity, but the average length of a bull market is more than two and a half years. So what do you do? Because it doesn't sound like we have much control over whether it's going to be a bear market or a bull market. My favorite new expression, and this is <laughs> this is relatively new for me because I just picked it up over the last year. It's not timing the market that should be the goal. It's time in the market oh, that clever, should be the clever. goal. Clever. Clever. And look, if you just buy and hold on through the bull markets and through the bear markets in a diversified portfolio, you are overall going to do just fine. These are very emotional discussions. And this can be like a therapist session, you know, working through your deep, intense emotions. A lot of people look at volatile markets and, and periods where the market is trending down and feel like they need to do something. And I feel like sometimes inaction is the best course of all. We're going to take a break. Uh, we'll continue our conversation when we come back. More with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky when we come back. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien on Everyday Wealth. Each week, we are so fortunate that we have in-house experts here from Edelman Financial Engines. They work with clients every day to help us move our financial lives forward. And joining us today is Rose Nyang. She is here from Buckhead, which is right outside Atlanta. Rose, so nice to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, your accent doesn't sound like you're from Atlanta. It has evolved, Soledad. I am originally from Senegal, West Africa, and I moved to New York in 2002 wow. and then moved to Atlanta in 2010. So it has evolved to, to what you hear now, which is pretty hard to pin down. <laughs> how, how did you get into being a, a wealth planner? What was that journey like for you? Well, I became a, a wealth planner because it combines uh, two great interests of mine. Uh, teaching, my mother was a teacher and her mother before her. And, and as an immigrant myself and a daughter of an immigrant, starting over does come with its own sets of financial challenges. So by the time I was in college, I was really interested in finding out how to become financially secure. 
and this is a, a path that I could take. That's amazing because I think a lot of people don't get to that question, how do I become financially secure, till way past college. Often you make all your mistakes in college and then spend the next few years trying to clean them up a little bit. Correct, yeah. But when you when you come in and you are watching your parents figure out how to work this new financial system, you kind of become part of the conversation. Mm. So the message to parents there is to bring your children into these conversations earlier because it can produce a really good result. What's the advice you give someone who shows up in your office and says, oh, my God, I'm freaking out because of what's happening. What do I do right now? Our clients are certainly, you know, worried about some of the uncertainties in the market. However, they're not thinking about it in terms of a bear market cycle. What they're thinking about is whether this specific volatility that's happening right now is going to prevent them from reaching some of the goals that they have. Are they going to be able to stay retired and live in the way that they want? Will they be able to pay for a child's college, for example, but not necessarily in terms of bear market? Do you hear from people who want to get opportunistic about the markets, who are watching the swings, watching the volatility and think, oh, well, I'm going to buy the next dip in X, Y, and Z index. Oh, absolutely. And I know that you know, Jean, you've been doing this for, for longer than I have, that it is very hard to catch it at the right time. And that's why talking to an expert about why you need to invest, why are you investing, what is the goal behind why you need to catch the market at a particular time. What I find and what most of my colleagues at Edelman Financial Engines find is there's always an undertone as to why people want to make money. So what we do, in turn, is figure out what that need is, because then we can construct a strategy that could better help them achieve that goal without having to guess at it or or having to go with all the heartburn that'll come when, when the market doesn't go their way. I'm curious if your clients are more like me. I mean, do your clients know the definitions, bear market, bull market, and, and that 20%, or do you find more of them are focused on, call it whatever you want, I need to discuss the implications for my life? I think we have clients who know, we have clients who don't know, but I think people who come to us at Adam and Financial Engines and people who should come to us are more focused about the end result. What does a bear market mean for me? Uh, they do give us data, like you, you've mentioned before, the Dow being down a 1,000 points in an intraday. But at the end of the day, it's about whether or not they can accomplish those goals. And And if you are planning and do not include the idea that we are going to have not only a bear market, but multiple bear markets, because these plans need to span 20, 30, 40 years, you are not planning well. You're talking about the concept of designing a portfolio. Portfolios are designed to last through bull markets and bear markets and get the client, the user, to their ultimate goal, whether that's college or whether that's a house or whatever that happens to be. We actually got a question from a listener from Rob C. in New Fairfield, Connecticut, who is interested about the composition of his own portfolio. And he says, my wife and I are 55 and 54. We own a low-cost, highly diversified ETF portfolio, exchange-traded funds, Roughly 90-10 stocks to bonds. Market volatility doesn't trouble us, not one bit. An opportunity to buy more is our attitude. My question is that bonds are red ink. They're guaranteed liabilities. Is it wild, reckless, and irresponsible to do away with them? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. 
Rob, I would say this. If you came to that uh, 90-10 portfolio because it helped you accomplish your goals, you are getting some sort of an average rate of return on a long run that matches uh, the some of the goals that you want to achieve, it is a little reckless to let go of your 10% bond because it has a purpose within your portfolio. A diversified portfolio can help you smooth out some of those uh, spikes within the overall market. And, and that's why you don't just invest in U.S. stocks. That's why you don't just invest in international stocks. You need to have a good group of good instruments within your portfolio to help you attain that rate of return that you are looking forward to, to achieve your goals. Uh, So I would say, yes, Rob, please hold on to your bonds, even though they are currently red ink, because the markets are cyclical. You are holding on to them so that uh, when they start doing better, your portfolio is still stable. We know that there are a lot of people in our audience who work with an advisor. We know that there are a lot of people in our audience who are do-it-yourselfers. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and if you've just let your stocks run, your mix is probably a little out of whack. Is now a time to rebalance? Uh, yeah, since 2009, the markets have run up 700%. Mm-hmm. So if you started with like a 60-40 portfolio, or even like Rob, a 90-10 portfolio, and you don't rebalance, that is a, a, a little bit too risky for you. A good component, uh, Gene, of a diversified portfolio is having a consistent rebalancing strategy so that you are always keeping your overall portfolio within the risk tolerance that allows you to accomplish your goals. So you're proactive, you're not reactive. Exactly. So that will keep you away from making rash decisions when markets are either up or down. But the advice is always buy low, sell high. So it sounds to me like they're saying when the market goes down, hop right on in. Well, what we're doing actually, Celadad, and that's a great question, is making sure that because markets are cyclical, you are buying the underperforming assets in anticipation of their upside rather than just going in blindly buying whatever's on sale and then, and then selling at a meandering way, so to speak. Where does timing the market stop and the strategy that you're describing start? Consistency. When you're timing the market, there isn't a consistent strategy behind it, right? If you start with a 60-40 portfolio, because that is what's going to help you uh, reach your goals, you have to consistently stick to that 60-40 portfolio. So you need somebody watching your money, is what you're saying. You do need a professional watching your money, not only a professional watching your money, but somebody with a consistent investment strategy that is not only going to help you stick to it during good times, but can help you stick to it during times of, of volatility as well. And those times of volatility is when it's really hardest to stick to your strategy because we're emotional. That's what I was going to say. We're like two peas in a pod, the two of us. But I was going to say it's so emotional. Part of your job must be a bit of hand-holding, like, nope, remember, we had a plan. And not only is it emotional, we have multiple sources that come at us on a daily basis, whether it is on the mainstream or social media, to tell us about every uptick or downtick in the market. That's where we really play a great role for our clients. And so is that why the conventional wisdom is do not try to time the market? Absolutely. Uh, you have to rely on professionals. You have to rely on someone whose objective it is to make sure that your investments are taken care of when you cannot take care of them emotionally. 
Uh, and that's what we do for our clients every day. We are able to hold their hands, whether we are in a bull or in a bear market. And if you are holding on to uh, taxable accounts and, and are thinking the tax implications of going ahead and selling some of those positions that have done so well, uh, don't let the tax tail wag the dog, right? The markets can take a bigger bite out of your portfolio than the IRS will. If you have IRAs and 401ks, no tax consequence there. Please do go ahead and, and rebalance. But even more importantly than these investments, tactical questions is do check in with a financial planner and make sure uh, you find out where you are relative to your goals. Maybe you can retire a little bit earlier. Maybe you can save a little bit less. If you do not have a well-diversified portfolio or don't think you have a well-diversified portfolio, please reach out to a financial planner. You can always reach one at Edelman Financial Engines by calling 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. People don't think strategically all the time and certainly probably not rationally and calmly when it comes to their money and really what their future could look like. They know they should behave in a certain way. We're going to talk about this, the emotional elements of investing and how to work around your own reptile brain, which I think is a very interesting terminology. We're having that discussion back with Rose and, of course, with Gene Chatsky when we come back in just a moment. More with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky when we come back. Edelman Financial Engines offers integrated wealth planning to coordinate all aspects of your financial life, now and wherever your future may take you. Visit planefe.com. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien, along with Gene Chatsky and our Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner, Rose Niang. Nice to have you back with us, Rose. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. For the past half hour, we've been talking about recent market volatility and what investors should do, or maybe better to say what investors should not do. And when you think about the human reactions to stress, there are two. Some people might say three. What are they? Fight, flight, or freeze, right? I mean, those are the three innate human responses to stress. And that's your lizard brain talking. I mean, when you have a reaction to something, I think in the face of, of fear, whether it's a snake that makes you jump back, whether it's a sail that makes you run forward. And your lizard brain is what saves you sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. It's that emotional gut response, what your limbic system saying, run for the hills, you're about to die, <laughs> right? Which is often, if there's a lion coming, like super good. But also, because it's an emotional response, it can be really not well thought through and not strategic. And the problem with that when it comes to your money is that actually we need to fight back. Actually, we need strategies that take the problem, stare it in its face and, and do something about it. When you have clients, Rose, who, who are petrified that the markets are going to tank and there goes college, there goes retirement, there goes their second home, what do you tell them? Yeah, I'll just start by saying that you have to have some strategies, you know, ahead of that 
particular emotion being triggered in order to to go and and grab it from your toolbox, so to speak. So here are a a few things that you can do in order to make sure that uh, you are prepared. Have some automated strategies built into your investment strategies, like uh, contributions into 401ks and IRAs that go on beyond just, you know, when when it's an opportune time to buy, but but on on a consistent basis. Since you cannot switch that emotion uh, right off, have a reliable source like a financial planner that you can talk to to have them do a gut check for you because there's always going to be that distance between them and your money that you cannot form yourself. But what we do for our clients is we prepare them ahead of time. When you come into any Edelman Financial Engine's office, planners spend a lot of time getting to know you, getting to know your goals so that we can come up with a strategy that will help you achieve it. We also do spend a lot of time educating our clients regardless of what's going on in the markets through webinars, conversations we are having in our offices, uh, as well as even emails of uh, what is inflation so that our clients have a trusted source that they can get it. Now, once we are all on the same page with not only the information that they are getting, but the goals that they've identified, we take our time to even tell them whether those goals are unreliable. Therefore, when this, uh, you know, primal emotion surfaces, we as planners are equipped to guide our clients in the right position. It's interesting how you have to help yourself learn around stress. And I actually think having a person can be very helpful, right? So that, so I'll give you an example. In horseback riding, when you see new riders on and something goes wrong, horse freaks out, the thing that 99% of people do, they crouch down because they're afraid. Well, what position does a jockey take to go faster? Right? Like, <laughs> literally, the worst thing you could do is crouch down and assume the fetal position. Your horse is like, oh, we're sprinting. Yay. And you actually have to kind of unlearn that primal response, put obstacles in the way of your gut reaction. And I always think of somebody you can talk to when you're freaking out is a little bit of that obstacle. And it's not intentional, right? That cringing down yeah. that the, the person who's riding a horse for the first time, and I can just see myself doing the same we thing, all do. it's terrible. Um, is not something that they want to do, but something that just happens to them. So you kind of need somebody to shake you out of that position. Yep. And an Edelman Financial Engines Planner uh, will be able to do that because they've lived through situations like these. You know, if you are a younger investor, for example, and have not gone through any market volatility, having somebody by your side can save you uh, a lot of heartache. Some people have the same problem when it comes to the steps that come before the investing, the saving behavior and the spending behavior. We've got a coaching program at Her Money called Finance Fix where that's exactly what we do. We help people dig into that feedback loop, that cycle, and and break the cycle so that they can save a little more, spend a little less, pay down some high interest rate debt. I bring it up because we've got the next session of our Finance Fix program rolling out in just a couple of days, and we've got a couple of spots left. So if people are interested, they should go to hermoney.com and check that out. You know, one of the tenets of behavioral finance, one of the things that I think gets people stuck is this fear of losing money. There's this philosophy or or this principle called loss aversion. And basically it holds that we are 
so uncomfortable losing money that we put ourselves in in bad situations. Losing money hurts twice as much as gaining the same amount. How do you deal with with the idea that sometimes you've got to get out of your bad bets? That's why the work we do when people become clients is so important. The groundwork is built not when, uh, you know, the market is down or the market is up. It's done when clients initially come into our offices. Uh, As I said previously, if you have the intimate knowledge of what they are investing for, it is very easy, Jean, I'm sure, to make the argument that if you do not sell because it's down, you will not be able to pay for Johnny's college. If you do not sell because it's down, you will not be able to pay for your daughter's wedding. You will not be able to retire. So we have to bring it back to those things that that got him investing in the first place in order to to shake him out of that that lizard brain how do you deal in difficult times how do you deal when because i i have this with my own portfolio right the markets are going down this happened to me in in 2000 when the markets went down very far very fast and i was panicking and i know what to do right i i picked up the phone and i called my advisor and we talked about it but I read in the newspaper that I wasn't the only one. People, professionals who had not been shaken were shaken. Well, good news is at Edelman Financial Engines, uh, we eat what we cook. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I deal with it in the same way that, that clients are in that I can reach out to colleagues and talk about what is happening uh, with my own portfolio. And I'm invested in the same things that my clients are invested in. I find the whole science uh, around behavior, especially around how people invest, just absolutely fascinating. And it's Daniel Kahneman whose books are, I mean, they sell them at every airport. So they're, it's, it's fantastic. But this idea of you feel the loss so deeply that your wins would have to be twice as high for you to even get in on the investment is such a fascinating way to think about how people feel about their investments. And when we look at bear markets, right, when we look at the markets going down, when you don't want to sell is as they're bottoming because people get out, they don't get back in, and they lose the opportunity to participate in the run back up. Absolutely. And we see that uh, very frequently with uh, new prospective clients who come in who have either gotten out because of a recession or another and have yet to do anything because they, they kind of have paralysis, right? If something were to happen today, what will happen? And that's why strategies like dollar cost averaging in those situations can be extremely helpful. So what exactly is dollar cost averaging? So dollar cost averaging is one way of consistently investing over a period of time. So let's say you and your financial planner agree that the best way to go about it is to do 10% every month or 10% every quarter. That way you can kind of spread out your fear of losing a huge chunk of it as the minute it goes into the market. Mm. Because the idea is that you're buying at all levels. And 401ks and other retirement plans basically do this for you because you are putting money in with every single paycheck, they're buying a portfolio that you've pre-selected, you're buying at all levels. Removes the emotion. You just do it consistently. Automation is the key to removing emotion in so many different instances. So this all goes back to making sure you have somebody on your corner. And if you want to talk to uh, an Edelman Financial Engines a planner, you can always reach us at 833-PLAN-EFE or planefe.com. 
You know what else makes people emotional? What? Taxes. <laughs> Taxes. Tax season is coming up. We're going to talk about what to consider when choosing a tax planner when we come right back. From investing to retirement to wealth planning, you want control over the decisions that impact your financial future. That's what you'll find when you work with an Edelman Financial Engines planner. Call 833-PLAN-EFE to find one near you. Welcome back to Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky. I'm Gene Chatsky. I'm here with Soledad O'Brien. Joining us is Rose Niang, a wealth planner with Edelman Financial Engines. Thanks for being here, Rose. Thank you, Gene. Thank you for having me. So it is tax season. In fact, most people do their taxes sometime between February and March. And this year, the IRS is out there saying it's going to be a big old mess. They are already backlogged with millions of returns from last year. And this is due to a a whole bunch of factors, the pandemic, staffing shortages, budget cuts. It could also be really, really frustrating for people who do their own taxes because of confusion around stimulus payments, around the child tax credit, around charitable contributions. Around where you lived. Listen, for a lot of people in the pandemic, if you left your town, you might be able to avoid taxes in the city where you used to live. And so it's complicated, but I think it's been extra complicated for the last couple of years. And tax preparers are really, really busy, which means if you need one, now is probably the time to get on it and make sure you've got somebody who, if they even don't have time to do your taxes for you right now and meet the deadline, will at least put you on extension so that you know you be able to get it done eventually. Rose, how do we find this person? Talk to your financial planner. Uh, at Edelman Financial Engines, we do help our clients with the research necessary to find a uh, tax prepper uh, that can help them uh, get out of these complex situations. How do you know, though, if you need one? Well, Depends on how complex your situation is. If Uh, you start to cry while you do them (laughs) yourselves, that's a good indication that you probably should get a person to do it. I would think so. I would think so. But, you know, everybody's different, right? Your situation this year even may be different from your situation last year. And as complexities add up, it is a good time to see if uh, a tax professional tax prepper can help you with those new nuances. Did you sell a home? Uh, Did you take a required minimum distribution for the first time? Did you rebalance as we were talking about earlier and created some capital gains and and need to maneuver through that web? Those are some of the things that you should be on the lookout for. And with the current gig economy, did you work for Uber, for DoorDash, uh, and and have some some 1099 income uh, along with your normal W-2 income uh, that you need uh, somebody to take a look at as well? Or like you were saying, Soledad, did you live in multiple states? I think that is a big one for people this year. Well, it's gotten very complicated in New York State, what counts as being in the, in the in the city and in the state um, for a certain amount of time. So I have learned that if you land at LaGuardia at 11 p.m., that day is a day in in the city. 
So the difference between landing at midnight, right, and then then going home at the end of that day versus landing at 11 p.m. and leaving out the day after at 6 a.m., right? That's three days that count in the city versus one day. You know, and again, you're trying to get to under 182 days. And I know all of this, of course, because during the pandemic with our four kids, we moved out of New York City, which was getting really challenging to deal with the kids schooling, uh, you know, a bunch of kids, all, all of us on on Zoom, uh, you know, in, a, in an apartment was impossible. And so we moved out of the city. And then, you know, they come back to you and say, well, what exact days were you in and out? And it's hard to remember the very specifics of where exactly you were. But it's really important, especially for all of those people who are able to be remote and said, okay, now is my opportunity to move to a state where there are no income taxes or where the state income taxes are much lower. So if you're looking for a preparer, if you're looking for somebody to help you sort through all of these issues, you definitely want somebody to be qualified. You want them to be experienced. You don't want them doing your taxes, and this is the first year they're doing taxes. You want to know how much this is going to cost you, right? You want their fees up front. What else do you need to know about a tax preparer to know if they're the right person for you? People always say, I want a CPA. And from my understanding, CPAs deal with companies. They deal with big corporate returns. That's not necessarily who you want to do your personal taxes. Well, there are some CPAs uh, from what I what I uh, deal with on a daily day basis that are able to help our clients with their more complex, uh, you know, tax situations. But one of the things that you definitely need to make sure of is uh, are they accessible? So that if you have any questions or anything you've forgotten, that you can uh, reach out to them and make sure that that is taken care of. Ask them ahead of time what documents they need to see, because an experienced person will have a list of things they need to see, both with the just currently past year and years before, in order to execute your tax returns uh, effectively. Ask them if they do e-filing, because that is going to be a lot faster than trying to add to that IRS backlog. Um, you know, never, of course, sign any blank tax returns, because even though you are getting a tax prepper or a CPA, you are responsible for the information that's on that form uh, being correct in the in the eyes of the IRS. And make sure that that tax preparer has their tax identification number on your tax return and sign your tax return. Uh, ask them if there are any mistakes within the preparations of taxes, if they will take the responsibility for penalties that the IRS may levy uh, you know, against you. So all of those things are things that you need to be on a lookout for. So do talk to a trusted financial professional. I mean, if you're looking for a tax preparer now, you might actually be a little close to the wire, just like rebalancing, right? Doing it in the moment is is not the best strategy. One form of tax prepare that a lot of people haven't heard of, but I'm a big fan, is something called an enrolled agent. Um, there's actually a national association of enrolled agents. And the reason that I like these people is that many of them actually used to work at the IRS. And so they know the ins and outs of the IRS, which, of course, is wildly complicated and, and changing all the time. The other tax hack, and I know you love hacks, Soledad, the, love, other, love. the other tax hack I love is for people who want to do it themselves who want to use tax software, which is, you know, totally acceptable. I like the idea of doing it with tax software and then bringing that to a professional. 
you save time on the hourly rate of the professional because you've set it all up for them. You've inputted all of the documents, but you get that set of professional eyes. So it's a way to spend a little to get a lot. Oh, my God. You just reminded me of my dad sitting at the dining room table doing his taxes with his calculator and longhand, right? You know, pre-computers, obviously, every people just sat there and did the math and wrote it in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where mistakes get made. Oh, every year, yeah. every year the IRS releases a list of the biggest tax mistakes that people make on their returns. They're always things like math. transposed digits in your social security number or stupid, not that they're stupid, but stupid math mistakes. And it tends to be these people who do it by hand. If you're just going to do one thing, just use a piece of software in order to help yourself. And you may even be able to do it for free if you go to the IRS's website, which is surprisingly helpful at irs.gov. They have a list of what they call free file resources, and and they're for people who don't make a ton of money typically, but you may be able to e-file for free. Yeah, I am a proponent of do what you do best and hire the rest. So unlike your dad, <laughs> Soledad, I do not do it longhand or software, even Gene, uh, just because I do take comfort in that professional taking a look at all of it for me and me just having to review it and sign it off. And, and a lot of our clients find themselves in those same situations. So if you want to discuss preparations for tax season, give us a call here at Edelman Financial Engines, 833-PLAN-EFE or planEFE.com. Yeah, give up your docs and get them in early. Otherwise, it's more more stressful. I feel like this entire episode has been about stress. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. I'm, I'm a little anxious. Yeah. I feel like maybe it's too much coffee, but maybe it's also just we're tackling some stressful. Yeah, we're tackling some stressful topics. Uh, Rose Niang, so nice to have you uh, helping us navigate through this. Really, really helpful. And of course, we hope that you guys have enjoyed this conversation as well. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question or a topic that you would like us to address on this show, go to our website, everydaywealth.com, and you can submit your question right there. And if you missed last week's show, it's a podcast. Great news. It's available there as well. Thank you so much for joining us us today. Thanks, Soledad. And we will see you next week. Have a great one, everybody. Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Tune in each week to hear fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help you elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com. And find our show wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.